The Lord be with you. And with your a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, now that very day, two of them were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it had happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped looking downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, said to him in reply, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And he replied to them, what sort of things? They said to him, the things that happened to Jesus in the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke! Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what he referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther. But they urged him, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that, while he was with them at table, he, broke, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that, their eyes were open, and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Could any of you use a steak right now? <laughs> be honest. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thanks for hanging with me and hanging with all of us as we journey a little bit in the scriptures and we make prayer and penance and we look out for one another. And that's the beauty of the Christian life, that we know that we're not alone. The first thing you did when you were born was cry. And then how did your cry find peace? You were held by a mother. You were looked at in love by a mother and a father. You were born into a community, meaning that no one is to live on his or her own island. God himself is a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We do things in community. Sometimes it irks me a little bit that, like, you go to Mass and you come to the sign of peace and people are so far spread out 
that when it comes to the sign of the peace, you wave at people. Why aren't we sitting together? A family sits together around the table when they break bread and eat their hamburger helper. It's the same thing in Mass. We are community. Jesus knew that this was going to be a tough life. That's why he gives us family. That's why he gives us friendships. What does sin mean? Diaboline, from which we get Diablo, which later gets into the devil, literally means to separate. So wherever there is non-integration, personally, mind, body, soul, if there is no integration between the three, there's probably some sin in there. And when you see sin and division in the church, there is sin and division there. Be close to one another. Look out for one another. Look out for that stranger, the widow, the orphan. Invite that person into community. That's what it's all about. So thank you for putting up with me this morning. I'll tell you a little bit about my nieces. I preach about these two quite a bit, too. I have a niece, Cecilia. She's my sister and brother-in-law, Tom and Lindsay's little girl. I think she's four, maybe going on five. She's just a darling little kid, and it's been kind of fun. I, I love all my nephews and nieces. I've lost count of all of them. I lost count of a lot of them, and I didn't get to see a lot of them grow up because I was in seminary for what seemed to be 38 years. <laughs> so like Tony and Judy, their kids, they're in South Lincoln at St. Peter's. I didn't get to see a lot of those kids grow up because I was in seminary. Cecilia, I have been able to see grow up because she was born right around the time where I was getting ordained and I was back in Nebraska. Cecilia's just a doll of a little girl, rambunctious. It's kind of neat to see her learn what truth is, begin to decipher what is wrong and what is right, see her start to mimic her parents. And now it's been even more beautiful since September. I think it was September 4th, she received a baby sister named Juliana. So Cecilia is now beginning to teach Juliana in whatever way a five-year-old can. I just, I do not look forward to the day that Cecilia starts to wear makeup and then decides to share that makeup with Juliana. That'll be hopefully three decades from now. But anyway, Cecilia is kind of teaching Juliana. Juliana is just a few months old. And Cecilia, one time I was, uh, this is probably around Christmas time, Cecilia was trying to teach Juliana to say thank you. You know, you get your gift, and then Cecilia gives her a gift, and then he helps Juliana open it up, and Juliana smiles like a baby would smile, and Cecilia goes, well, say thank you, Juliana. Oh, she doesn't have any teeth. She can't, you know. But it's just kind of neat to try to see that older sister pass down the waves of the world to her younger sister, even at that very small age. Again, you have to become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Children are probably the best apostles we have on this earth because we can learn a lot from them. But it's really neat to really see the gratitude that Cecilia has been brought up with and how she's trying to share that with someone else, her little sister Juliana now. Now, speaking of hunger and steak and kids and all that kind of stuff, I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving. It's probably my favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving. Turkey, the potatoes, the football, the sweatpants, <laughs> the naps. Being unshaven for a couple days, it's great. 
we have to shave like every day in the Diocese of Lincoln, which is fine. But, you know, when you get away for a little couple days, it's nice to have a couple days growth. But I absolutely love Thanksgiving. And even though it's not necessarily a religious holiday, it does definitely have religious and Catholic beginnings. I mean, what does Thanksgiving mean? What does the Eucharist mean? In the Greek, it means Thanksgiving. When we place everything on the patent, our intentions, all that kind of stuff, we should be placing the intention of thanksgiving too. Meister Eckhart, I believe was a German priest, says something to the effect, if the only prayer you ever pray in your life is thank you, it will be enough. Now you think about it in American terms, the gift and the holiday of thanksgiving. Look where it's placed. It's at the end of harvest season. It's when the United States gets darker and darker. The sun starts to go down, right? The leaves start to fall. Everything around us is creeping in. Death is kind of setting in. I don't want to get into too much information, but I'll tell you, I get a little... How many of you get that seasonal mood disorder? You just get down in the winter, you know? I can't stand it. And it usually creeps in around October 31st and starts to hit right at Thanksgiving, too, and it lasts till about this time. I love Lent, frankly. And then when it starts to warm up, you know, you got basketball season, then you got Easter just around the corner, you start to get a little bit more life. Another reason why I hate the winter is because when you wear black all the time and you bump up against your car, well, guess what? <laughs> you got black and white all over now. But you get this little seasonal depression that a lot of us get. And then all of a sudden in America, we stick out Thanksgiving right in the middle of it. And we basically say, look, we're getting ready to go into December in January, and the 53 days of February, and it's going to get darker. It's going to get colder. It's going to get more rotten. But what do we do as Americans? We give thanks and we count our blessings with our family. And in essence, as we enter into the dark of it and we count our blessings, not only is that an American thing, that's what the Psalms are all about. If you look at the Psalms, the despair, the agony, the tragedy, the darkness, the loneliness, the separation. How does the psalmist survive? He counts his blessings and gives thanks. And really what it is, thanksgiving and counting our blessings, is fuel for the journey. The Eucharist is fuel for the journey. Thanksgiving is fuel for the journey. Brings me to this point. The gospel reading here, Emmaus. Do we happen to know where the disciples are walking from? Where are they leaving from? Anyone? They're leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving Galilee. And they're walking to Emmaus. And a little bit of exegesis here. What is Emmaus? It's like the Monte Carlo back then. It's like Las Vegas today. It's everything worldly. So they're walking away from the hope and the truth and the love of this guy named Jesus in Jerusalem, and they're heading right back into sin. Desolation. Darkness. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure lies. They're rejecting the spiritual, and they're going right back to the material. Money. Power. Lust. Fame. Greed. Anger. All of it. That's what's happening here. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops them. 
He breaks bread with them. And then what do they do? They go back to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, when Jesus stops Magdalene and Peter and these disciples, they're all separated from Jerusalem. Where are they all going back to? They're going back to Galilee. Going back to Galilee. And what does that mean? Not just in a physical sense, geographical sense, something deeper. Why does Jesus send them back to Galilee? Even before he says he sends the Holy Spirit so they can go off to the world, he says, go back to Galilee and fall back in love with me. That's what's going on here. They're going to Emmaus, but then they go back to Galilee. Why? To remember where they first fell in love with Jesus, where they fell in love with the hope of the gospel, when they fell in love with joy, when they really didn't quite understand it all, but they knew that this guy named Jesus was always with them. They took stock of their lives and fell back in love in that place before they were set off throughout all of Galilee, to the ancient Near East, to Rome, and then to the whole world. How does this relate to us today in Thanksgiving? Lent really is a time in the desert. Lent is a time to hit the pause button on the world, the Emmaus, or the Las Vegas of it all, and it's meant to go back to Galilee. Where did I first fall in love with Jesus? Go back to those spots. Perhaps it's your wedding day, your confirmation day, your first communion. Perhaps it's being diagnosed with cancer and wanting to run away from it all, but Jesus came and you're still here. Revisit those places. Recall the resurrection. Recall that in Jerusalem, Jesus died, and certainly it hurts, but then he rose. Be fed by your memory. One of the greatest gifts we have as human beings, what sets us apart from plants and animal, is the gift of memory and intellect and free will. A plant can't remember. Dogs can't remember as well as us. Humans can remember. When you fell in love with your husband or your wife, maybe that was Jesus appearing to you the first time you ever encountered love. Go back to that spot. Where did you encounter love? Relive it again. Meditate on it. Let it feed your meditation, and then give thanks. This Lent, go back to Galilee. Go back to your first love and know that all love is God. Each one of us can go back in our memory and revisit a place where we felt lost, where we felt that there was no hope, but then Jesus came to us, perhaps in the gift of a best friend or a child. Go back to your memory and give thanks. Don't go back to Emmaus. Go back to Jerusalem. Go back to Galilee and fall in love with Jesus again. May we meditate on this day and, frankly, every day of our lives to go back to those first loves, to remember that God is the author of all love and that when we encounter love, we truly encounter God and Christ himself. And may God bless us all. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.